We're going to continue in our sermon series on the book of Romans. We're looking at Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. I encourage you to pull out your Bibles or open up your app on your phone uh, or your tablet to read along with me. This is Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find this law... That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Father, we do pray that you would please be with us this morning, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to understand your word and that it would bear fruit, that you would change us, that you would make us to know you and to grow in faith and Christ-likeness through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking the last several weeks at these very encouraging words from God and his word that the Apostle Paul delivered to the Romans. And he said things like, um, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. He talked about the fact that Christ died and Christ was buried and Christ was resurrected and we have been buried with him. We died with him. We've been resurrected with him. And that means that we are free from the penalty of sin if you have faith in Jesus, that your sins are forgiven and your past, present, and future sins are no more in God's sight at that moment when you believe you're justified, you're right in his sight. But particularly the last few weeks, we've been talking about another reality, and that is that resurrection life 
is in your life, and so you're to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now the question is, do you feel dead to sin and alive to God? Perhaps you're like a line from a Monty Python movie. I'm not dead yet. You might. I, I really feel like, you know, there's sin is still alive in me and it's not totally dead yet. Um, we're going to look at that and we're going to ask that question. What does that mean if that is my, the reality in my life? Maybe, maybe I, I really don't know Jesus, Jesus if that's the case. Is that what that means if I still struggle with sin in my life? Before we answer this question, I want to just point out a few things that will help you understand this passage. Uh, Number one, the Apostle Paul changes the pronoun here uh, to I. He talks about himself. And so people have debated, is this the Apostle Paul sort of giving us his testimony here? Or is he speaking of I in the sense that this is representative of, of human beings? And the answer, I think, is pretty clear from the text that Yes, both of those things are true. He's, he's changed tenses, so he's lumping himself into this category, but he's also using it as a way of describing uh, the lot of humanity. There's a second question that is often asked, particularly as we get to the second half of this passage, and that is, is Paul addressing Christians, people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, or is he addressing non-Christians? And we'll get to that in a minute. But really, the Apostle Paul pointedly is not answering any of those questions. He will do it in the text, but he's really asking and answering two questions. And he's continuing to talk about the law. And he says in verse 7, is law sin? So that's the first question, is law sin? Spoiler alert, he's going to say no, it's not sin. And then the second question in verse 13 is, did that which is good, that is the law, bring death to me? Again, we'll answer that question in a little bit. So why is he even talking about the law being sin and characterizing the law in sort of a negative way? Why would we think that about God's law? Well, he's just ended uh, in verses, uh, the section prior to this, uh, by saying this. In chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so the very next thing he says, what then shall we say? Is the law sin? He says, by no means. There's an old television show that most of you are probably familiar with, and that is To Tell the Truth. To Tell the Truth was a show where you would have three guests, and there would be a panel of people who would try to figure out what the vocation was of this particular person. And so you had two imposters and one person who really was that person. And one of my favorite episodes was when Darth Vader showed up. The person that, sh- that played Darth Vader in Star Wars was one of the, the guests on To Tell the Truth. And so there were two imposters and there was one personification of evil there with them, Darth Vader. And what we find in our text today is the Apostle Paul says, 
as, he, as we ask the question, who is really the personification of evil? Is it the law or is it sin? And sin stands up as the personification of evil, not the law. He says, in fact, there are two different things, law and sin. In Romans chapter 7, about halfway through verse 1, yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You pull a telescope out, you look at the planet Mars, you don't say to the telescope, you're Mars. No, the telescope simply focuses and shows the planet Mars. We are able to see it because of the implement of the telescope. Sin is the enemy used by the law. Sin is not the law. It's different from the law, but it's used by the law. You might have a thief come to your property and find a hammer on your premises and use it to break into your house. The problem is not with the hammer. The hammer is good. The problem is with the thief. And in the same way, the law is not bad. The law is used by sin in our lives. Verse 8, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Sin is within me. It's operating in me like an infection. Uh, We mentioned last week that there are four different states that human beings can find themselves in. One is past, that was Adam, back in the garden, Adam and Eve. They had the possibility of sinning. They hadn't sinned, and then they had the possibility of sinning, and of course they did. And then for those born naturally uh, in this world, uh, with the sinful nature, not yet uh, given eyes to see by God and a changed heart, it's not possible not to sin. Again, last week we said that sounds harsh. We're going to get to this when we get to Romans 8, 7, and 8 next week about what it means to have the sinful nature and only the sinful nature. The third state for the Christian is it's possible to do righteousness. So it's possible not to sin. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, as we'll find out today. No, but it is possible for us to do what is right because we love God, because God's changed our heart. In Ezekiel, God says that I will give you a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh to be responsive to my laws and follow my decrees. And so that's where the encouragement came in uh, the last couple of weeks is we have a new heart. Um, And yet we have the remnants of the sinful nature. That's what we learned today. Finally, the last state will be what's called the glorified state when We will be made in body and soul like Jesus Christ, and it'll not be possible to sin. That'll be wonderful. But sin still operates in our lives, and it operates on the level of our desire. We see that in verses 7 and 8. For instance, verse 8 says, But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, the sin lies dead. Covetousness, uh, do not covet, is the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments. Why is it that Paul specifically mentions do not covet? Because that particular law gets at the heart of sin and how it operates in our lives and in our hearts. It's desire. 
Do not covet. Do not desire what does not belong to you. Jesus Christ himself talked about the implications of this for all the law in the Sermon on the Mount. He said to the Pharisees who thought very highly of themselves, uh, you say you don't commit adultery, you say you don't murder. Well, if you lust, you're committing adultery in the heart. If you hate, you're committing murder in the heart. There is a way of sinning that comes from our desire. Our desires are what uh, prompt us to sin. K.J. Foreman is a commentator, and he had this to say. He quoted uh, Mark Twain, and he said, This plain-spoken American said that most idealists overlooked one feature of the human makeup, which is very prominent, namely plain mulishness or perverseness. Mark Twain said that if a mule thinks he knows what you want him to do, he will do just the opposite. And Twain admitted that he was like that himself, often mean for the sake of meanness. But the fault does not lie with the ideal, but in the man who reacts against it. So my sinful nature hears the law and responds and does the opposite. The law is good. The law is meant to bring life. Leviticus 18.5 says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. The Apostle Paul is going to say in Romans 10, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the command shall live by them. So the law is intended to bring life, but it doesn't. And the problem isn't with the law. The problem is in here. We have the remnants of the sinful nature. Verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and it killed and through it killed me. There is a deception uh, in the way that sin operates within me. It grabs a hold of my mulishness uh, as I hear the law and I say in rebellion, you're not the boss of me. That's what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God, against his law. I've mentioned before that after college, I traveled around the country for a year, and I found myself out in California living in a house with, with uh, several other guys, and, and one of my housemates and I went to a movie. You remember those days when we went to movies? We went to a movie, and we, were, um, <clears throat> we, were, um, we came in, and my housemate brought a, a pizza with him to the movie theater to eat during the movie, and the usher said, you can't bring that in here. And he said, oh, come on, you know, be, you know show... Show me a little uh, hope here. You know, let me come in here. And he said, okay, just make sure you bring the box out when you leave. So the movie was over. He finished the pizza. And as we were leaving uh, the row, he uh, had the pizza box with him. And he went back, dropped it on the floor in the row. Why? Mulishness, right? He was told, don't do it. And so he did it, even when the guy was being nice to him. Sin is deceptive. Think back to the garden. Adam and Eve were deceived. God says, you've got a thousand fruit trees, thousands of plants. You've got blueberries and strawberries. You've got all kinds of wonderful, perfect fruit. There's just one tree you can't eat from. And there is this deception of sin that says, You've got to have this one thing. 
that God told you you can't have. And the sleight of hand, there's no focus on the other. Remember when my uh, two other siblings are both younger, two younger sisters, and my middle sister and I, for Christmas, we asked for lots of Christmas presents. We got lots of Christmas presents one year as children. And uh, my sister Bonnie only asked for one thing, and that was a light bright. I don't know if you know what a light bright is, but she, she got this light bright. And so uh, my sister Bev and I uh, quickly sort of uh, lost interest in our toys, and we commandeered her light bright and began to play with it and did not let her play with it. And my mom was not pleased, and she took all of our presents, not my sister Bonnie, but Bev and I, and she placed them out in the garage uh, where she put the trash to go out, sort of telling us this might go into the trash. Uh, she didn't do that, but it got the point across. And uh, why do we do that? Why? Because, uh, because that one light bright was going to give us light, life on that Christmas day. All the other gifts that we had, that wasn't good enough. We had to have that one thing. That is the deceptiveness of sin. It says this one thing that I can't have, I got to have that. It also deceives us by telling us that God is holding out. He's holding out on us. You know, that's what Satan said. Hey, God's holding out on you, Adam and Eve. You know, that's why he said you can't have this. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to have what's really good. And that is what sin does to us. It deceives us and it brings death. The wages of sin is death. We know that ultimately that means, of course, physical death, but it... It also means separation from God in hell because of our sin. But even in this world and in this life, sin deceives us and it kills us. It brings death into our life. I think in particular about different addictions that people have, whether it's substance abuse that can bring literal death. uh, And if not, difficulty in occupation with your family members, maybe pornography addiction that can undo Uh, relationships or food addictions that could lead to ill health and even death. Um, All sin leads to death. And some of it is very apparent in this world as sin deceives us. And so the Apostle Paul says the problem's not with sin, verse 12. So the law is with, with the law, excuse me, it is with sin. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. All right, so point one, the law and sin are different. The law is good. Sin is evil. Did the good law bring death to me? Chapter 7, verse 13. That's his second question. No. Sin did, says the Apostle Paul. Sin is the bad guy. He's working inside of you. And this is where the Apostle Paul gets into this aspect of human nature um, and, and really dives into it. And there are people who say that these words that the Apostle Paul is about to say here can't refer to Christians because it's just too negative. For instance, verse 14, I am of the flesh sold under sin. It's a strong statement. He's already said this in chapter 6, verse 7, the one who has died has been set free from sin. But then on the other hand, Paul, uh, people say Paul couldn't possibly be referring to non-Christians because of the things he says here. Uh, 
Notably, verse 18, for I have the desire to do what is right. Verse 19, I want to do good. Verse 19, and especially verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And this is not the statement of somebody who hasn't uh, been regenerated, been given a new heart by the Holy Spirit. We don't delight in the law of God in our inner being without the work of God's Spirit doing that as believers in Jesus Christ. So to summarize, there are people that say, it's got to be a description of a person that doesn't believe in Christ because believers just aren't that bad. Christians aren't just that bad. And there are others that say, it's got to be a description of a believer because unbelievers aren't that good. Well, here's the deal. Believers are that bad. Okay? We're that bad. Paul's reference, again, is not to my newly changed soul that now delights in God, but he's referring to the sinful nature, the, the remnants of that sinful nature that remains and one day will be completely gone in eternity. And so, verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but the very thing I hate, I do. Do you ever do what you don't want to do? Now, I call this section of the Bible, who's on first? For those of you who know Abbott and Costello, you know, that I want to do, I do, I don't do what I want to do, the good, you know, oh my goodness. You know, talk about a conflicted soul, right? And that's how we are as believers in Jesus Christ. We are conflicted souls because deep down inside we delight in God's law, but there's another law, there's another, there's a, there's another um, driving force at work in our lives, and that is sin through the remnants of the sinful nature. You know, I think all of us uh, would admit that there are certain things that are bad, and we have a tendency oftentimes to overlook uh, those things um, that give us discomfort uh, about ourselves. Uh, maybe you're not that way. Some folks have a very, very, um, a very keen conscience, but oftentimes we don't do that. We, we think about the sin out there in this world. Maybe, uh, maybe we would never lie, you know? Uh, so those liars out there, that's really bad. Maybe those people that are committing sexual sin uh, maybe I have a problem with sexual sin, but not that, not that bad over there, right? Or whatever it is, you know, we tend to downplay our own sin and cover it up and highlight uh, the sin around us. I was thinking of this uh, prayer, a collection of prayers and meditations. This is a, a New York Times bestseller right now. Um, and it's by a, a professor of practical theology. It's called A Prayer of a Weary Black Woman. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided racist souls to stop believing that they can be better and stop being racist. And she goes on to say, free me from this burden of calling them to confession and repentance. Grant me a get out of judgment free card if I make white people the exception to your commandment to love our neighbors 
as we love ourselves. And then she finishes the prayer with, thus in the spirit of Coretta and other notable figures, I pray and press on in love. What is she saying? She's saying, I'm conflicted. She's saying, I stand for justice and what is right. But this command of Jesus to love my neighbor, to love my enemy, mm, I don't want to do that. What I know I need to do, I don't want to do. So let's be honest. Where are you conflicted? Take the law seriously. You will be conflicted. I want to do good, but, right? I I want to do good, but. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You feel that conflict? That's what's going on in our hearts. But remember... The Apostle Paul says this. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Verse 11. There is hope. There is hope. Why did he tell us to do that? If we were already completely dead, he wouldn't have had to tell us to do that. But we've got to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in God. He goes on to say, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. That's the reality. That's the reality that we live in. So I find this law to be at work. When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And so a few applications here. If If you are a a non-Christian, if you are one that hasn't come to place your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a sense in which you should be more comfortable living uh, and doing sin uh, than we as Christians are. Because there's something deep down inside of us that is compelling us to live for God and to live for him. But if today there's something compelling you to do what's right... And you have this sense of guilt and you have this sense of conflict and perhaps God is working in your heart and he is opening your heart up and he's opening your mind up. And if that is the case, come to him. The Bible calls that repentance. You repent of your sin. You confess it. Ask God to forgive your sins and turn from it. Why is it that God would do that? Because Jesus came, truly God, truly man, To live a perfect life that you have not lived and could not live. And he came to die in your place on the cross. To take the punishment that you deserve. So that you be forgiven of your sins. That you be restored to a right relationship with God. Just by faith and trust in Jesus. You have that relationship with God. So that can happen for you today. But if you are a Christian. um, If you do struggle with sin. Um, It's not a sign that you don't know God. It's a sign that you know God. It's a sign that the Holy Spirit is making you struggle. So don't give up and don't give in. 
And so take advantage of those things that help us in the Christian life. Help us grow to be more like Jesus Christ, like uh, reading God's word, like hearing the preaching of God's word, uh, like the community of God's people, encouraging one another uh, in fellowship, uh, like um, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we're going to have next week is the visible portrayal of what Jesus has done for you. God will use that to encourage you. But I also want to say this, don't over-spiritualize, particularly if you are grappling with some sort of an addiction. It could be a substance addiction or addiction to pornography or addiction to food, as I mentioned. Um, God has made us spiritual beings and physical beings. And people who are addicted um, have certain physiological things happening in their brain with neurochemical transmitters that are going on that are, uh, make it very difficult to break the grip of addiction. And so seek help. Seek help. You can talk to me. You can talk to others, um, your brothers and sisters in Christ. But don't pretend somehow that you're going to be able to handle this alone. That's true of any sin in our lives. We need our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. We need to be able to admit to one another, hey, this is where I'm struggling And I need you to pray for me and to be with me and help me. And if necessary, get others to help. We need people around us to encourage us uh, in the right way. I think of uh, the rapper DMX. Some of you will be familiar with him. DMX uh, died on April 9th. Um, And he was a professing believer in Christ. In April of last year, he held an online Bible study, for instance, and he asked people to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, uh, but by all appearances, he died of a drug overdose. He uh, had problems with substance abuse all throughout his uh, life, and uh, it was well known. Um, Is it possible that he was a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, I can't peer into his heart, but I would have to say, yes, yes, it is possible. Uh, The wages of sin is death, and sin can lead to physical death. Um, And he needed help. Um, And so we can be um, under the grip of addiction and get help. And we can be under the grip of other sins. Get help. um, Do those things. Use those things that God has given to you personally and ask others to help you as well. And go back in confidence to Jesus Christ because he will be with you in this struggle. Because ultimately, it's not about your ability to earn your way into God's good graces, but it's about Christ's performance and faith in Christ's performance. And thirdly, know that Jesus will deliver you from the sin that grips you just as he has freed you from the penalty of that sin. 6.11 again. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. The Apostle Paul says, yes, there's a principle going on here that the law is good and sin is evil and sin is inside of you. Chapter 7, verse 25. So so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But Jesus will deliver you. He'll deliver you from sin's grip, just as he's delivered you from sin's penalty. The Apostle Paul says, 
In verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like the lyrics of songwriter Charlie Peacock, I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I'm the king of excuses. I've got one for every selfish thing I do. The disease of the self runs through my blood. It's a cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring the sickness under control. What's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicion that I'm still in man, a man in need of a savior. I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Oh, Lord, be my light and be my salvation. All I want is to be in the light. Many of you are familiar with uh, the hymn writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, and you know that he was a, uh, actually um, uh, was a slave trader and uh, born in the 1700s. Uh, by the way, uh, fathers and mothers, he had, a, he had a godly mother that prayed with him and taught him to pray, and, um, and he, uh, God used those things to bring those things to mind and, and eventually led him uh, to place his faith in Jesus Christ, to give up the slave trade and a lot of other things as well in his life. And he eventually became a pastor and, um, and most well-known for his hymn, Amazing Grace. And near the end of his life, there were um, people that, that noticed as he was getting older um, that maybe he, wasn't, uh, maybe he wasn't on his A-game and uh, sort of suggested maybe you might want to, uh, to step down from the pulpit and start preaching, stop preaching. When are you going to stop preaching? And um, so he never lost the sense of where he came from and what was driving him. And he said, I sinned with a high hand. Um, I made it my study to tempt and to seduce others. And then he came to faith in Christ. And he said, in terms of preaching, I cannot stop. What shall an old African blasphemer stop while he can speak? Newton went on to say of his life, I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to face reality, to understand that we do, um, we are about a conflict, that we do have an enemy, an enemy within, and that is sin. And we pray, Father, that you would encourage us that though we struggle with the sin and we do not desire it and we do what we do not want to do, that you are working in our hearts and in our lives as we come to you confessing our sin, uh, that you would cause us to do just what the apostle says, to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and that we might know what it means in this life to be more and more like Jesus Christ and to thus 
give you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.